You're listening to Money Shots, a weekly podcast where one recovering shopaholic and one very rational financial expert talk all things money. Hello. Hi guys. This is episode 10 of Money Shots. Wow, we have come a long way. 10 episodes. So that's two months and two weeks. Um, what do you think we're doing today? I'm going to be stressed again today. Mm. Okay, anyway, just a disclaimer that if you hear any um, pushing of furniture or some loud breathing, uh, it's my dog. Mani Poo Poo! Instagram handle at Mr. Mani Poo Poo <laughs> if you want to follow him. <laughs> yeah, so please don't mind if you hear any weird sound. And today, we are going to do Ask a FA number two. Yeah, I'm so happy and excited. It's my favorite um, I'm content. I'm not. I'm not. So we, after the first, anyway, we just want to thank you for your support for the first episode. We had like overwhelmingly great reviews. Is it overwhelmingly great? <laughs> yes, very overwhelming. And um, we threw out like, uh, like a poll is it a poll no like a question thing on our social yep. to get you guys to ask us more questions if you have any and to our surprise we did receive quite a few questions so today we're gonna answer those I mean Chris is gonna answer those la, for the second installment of Ask a FA stress version 2 yeah yeah so all these questions that uh, we are gonna discuss are all asked by like our followers and friends and it's, it's not asked by me uh. So if anything sounds very aggressive It's not me, okay It's other people <laughs> There are real people out there Who actually think this way uh, Fellow insurance agents Just saying Okay What's the first one? Okay, the first question we have is Why do all insurance agents Look and dress the same way? Uh, personally, I agree Because I just had a conversation with Chris Asking him like Why must he wear a suit Every fucking way he goes And isn't it less intimidating if he doesn't wear such formal attire when he meets clients? Mm. So we shall listen to his explanation. Okay, at first I disagree with her. Like, I feel like not all FAs look and dress the same. But we were just having breakfast and then I, I saw a guy in a suit and I think he turned out to be an FA. La. So He was uh, like, that, I'm sure that guy is an FA. Then yeah. I, I was like, yeah, confirm FA. <laughs> okay, anyway, I feel like we wear a suit is because we want to be professional, we want to look professional and personally, at the same time, I feel like wearing a suit, it's a, it's an act of respect towards my clients. Ah. So I agree that this may be a bit old-fashioned thinking and traditional, but at the end of the day, we just want to show that we put in the effort to respect the, the clients and friends for giving us the time off. I have a friend who said that insurance agents are just dressing like bankers that they cannot be. Wow. So they want to look like bankers and they want people to think that they are equivalent to the to bankers. That's why they dress the same way. No lah, not true lah. I mean, there are many professions out there that wear suits also ma. I mean, lawyers also wear suits. Then how far one look, we can tell that it's FA. <laughs> anyway, I realised that the, the difference between like bankers and FA is that if you see someone wearing a suit and carrying an iPad walking around in the middle of the day, right? It's confirmed <laughs> an FA. No, what if it's a lawyer who is high tech? No, they won't, they won't be out in the day. They'll be in the office till like what? 1am? <laughs> true. True. I mean, I mean, it's true that most of us FAs 
we redress a certain style, but I feel it's just out of professionalism. I mean, I personally feel that I would prefer it if my <laughs> money stop. <laughs> Okay, okay. He's being crazy. Anyway, I was saying, I prefer it if my FA dresses more casually, to be honest. Because I feel like it feels more like I'm talking to a friend as compared to if he's dressing up like in a suit and everything. Then I feel like he's like... Very distant, huh? Yeah. Like he's like a boss. Or like, you know, you know, it's like you just don't meet your friends in a suit. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so honestly... I think that this this will like help us clarify as, and to help like understand our like the younger group of clients are like what you all think as especially about how we dress. So when I first met you and with my suit and all right, what do, what do you feel? I mean, I didn't feel anything because I already knew you. Uh, but if I had to meet a stranger, then I'll be like, oh my god, why is he so formal? Why is he so formal? Yeah. Okay, but as in like the way I talk to them will be different too. Okay, I'll be more. I'll I would. It would be easier to let my gut down if the person is wearing something casual. I feel like, don't laps up, but like, casu- smart casual. Okay. Yeah. Like, what are you wearing today? It's okay, what? Okay, I... They can't see what I'm wearing today. Oh, okay. okay, but I'm wearing sh- just a normal t-shirt. Uh, no, shirt and pants now. But just smart casual. Okay, but let's just say, would it change your perception? Like, for example, uh, I'm wearing what I'm wearing now, just a normal shirt and pants. Then after you see someone else, some other financial advisors who, who dress up in a suit and all, will you feel like, oh, why Chris don't put in effort or like... No, as in like, I feel that it... Maybe what you're thinking is too extreme. You can put in a lot of effort and still dress smart casual. You can really tell if someone is putting in effort dressing as smart casual. Or if oh. the person is not putting in any effort. Okay, you can okay. look smart in smart casual. Uh. You True can look good also. So, True. I mean... It's, it boils down to preference lah, but I feel like if you're trying to be more relatable, the way you dress really is like a point that you can change. Okay. Yeah. Point taken. Okay, next question um, is, how do you draw a line between a client and a friend? And what this question means is that, like, um, how do you distinguish a client from a friend? You know how like when someone is your friend, you have like their best interest at heart and everything. But if someone is your client, uh, on the strictly speaking terms, you want to earn money from your client, ma. That's like the relationship you have with your client. Okay. Like that's the ultimate goal. Okay. But with your friend, it's like you want what's good for them. So yeah. how do you draw the line? Okay, for me personally, um, all clients are friends. I, I put a lot of attention to, to the relationship that I develop with my clients even after the sale is done because I feel that for me... Um, uh, it's my responsibility to be to truly be with the client all the way throughout their entire financial journey. So I feel that it's important to have like a friendship, to have like a. So so your client is only your friend after they buy something. No, as in I, as in that, <laughs> not everyone in the world is my friend, right? So all clients are friends, but not all friends are clients. If that. Makes so it why clear. aren't all friends clients then? Okay, so, so some friends, they may already have financial advisors who are already doing a great job. So would you prefer if all friends are clients? Of course, I would prefer all <laughs> friends to be clients, like, realistically. <laughs> yeah, but because sometimes there's this, sometimes it's more harmful and not beneficial to change advisors or to change plans. So if the advisor is really doing a great job, I don't see that why there's a need to change to me just because you are my close friend or whatever. So would you swear that no matter what you do, right? Oh, it's swear. always okay. <laughs> clients' interests first and then your interests second. 
Always, I swear. Swear. Three fingers Six on both. Six fingers out. <laughs> Money, put, put, put out your fingers. Put a paw. Don't oh, no. trigger him la. Okay, sorry. See, you see? He's biting him now. <laughs> okay, stop. Yeah, I swear like, it's always the client's interest first, no matter what. So that, I, I won't go into details, but there have been situations where I had to do something that was not really beneficial to me la. Like, I had no... So, I I don't I don't gain yeah any, I don't gain anything from it. Yeah, but I, I was like still taking over the yes. <laughs> so, but for this, I feel like it's important to to have someone um responsible to be watching over their policies and stuff like that. So I feel like even if I don't gain anything from it, I will, I will do my best to to take over people's policies, for example, and to to serve them properly, lah. Yeah. Alright, uh, I think that's a fair answer. Next question, which is kind of related actually. Hmm. So, since you say um, you put clients first and yourself second, right? Yeah. So, how much are you actually doing it for the client's sake? And how much are you doing it for the money that you're going to earn? Uh, I think this is in relation to like what plans you sell them. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I feel like my answer will be similar to, to, previous, to, to what I said just now. Like, for example... If plan A makes the most sense for the client, but plan B makes more money for me, but doesn't make as much sense as compared to plan A, I will without any hesitation choose plan A for the client uh, and I'll always recommend plan A with, with my utmost confidence. Uh. Like, I wouldn't put money as the, the focus of my job. But that being said, I think, I think there's no wrong in us admitting that we are still doing this, a part of the reason why we are doing this job is for the money also lah. Because I feel like... I mean, if you know that you won't earn any money, you won't fucking do it, it's like charity. If, if being an insurance agent is volunteer work, will you do it? So, so assuming I have... Like you sell shit, but you don't earn shit. Will you still sell shit? It's not even called selling shit anymore, what? If you don't earn anything. I mean, I do do charity, what? Can I just say I have a full-time job and then... Uh, it so happens that in the world, selling insurance or or providing insurance is a, is a volunteer job. Then if I if I am in my current situation now, and because of my granddad situation, I will I will do it for voluntary uh, purposes. Uh. Well, I can't say the same for the rest of the for other FAs. Uh. Okay, I I still feel like there are many FAs out there who are as passionate as I am, and who still put. Actually, most of us put a client's interest at. At heart first. Not the targets. No? No. Okay, that's not what I heard, but sure. <laughs> Maybe you have very good colleagues. Yes, I do. Alright. I guess um, what we learned from this question is that they are all doing it for the client's sake. But you all have to uh, analyse the situation based on your discretion. Lah, huh? Whether or not they are doing it for your sake or for their own sake, you will know best, okay? Yeah, I mean, in the previous episode, I mean, we got tips. Kids are not stupid, so just be smart about it. Okay, we, okay to repeat what we taught y'all in the last episode, in the previous episode of AAFA, is that always go for goals-based planning, needs-based planning, and always ask questions. You can ask the FA this question. How much are you doing it for my sake, or, or for the, how much are you doing it for the money? <laughs> Let's see what they answer. They compensate for your sake, lah, but you can tell by the evidence. Hmm. Alright, next question. Uh, how come cold call insurance agents keep giving me situations that I'll die next year? Toy, toy, toy. Okay, toy. 
Um, okay, so maybe they could have, they probably could have phrased it a little better in terms of the, the words they use or the tone they use. But I think it still remains a reality that we could go anytime. Even if it's not next year, we could go tomorrow or the next minute. Like anything could happen. Uh. So while the message delivery could have been better, I feel that the message the the agent was trying to bring across is still very important because we really, really will never know what's going to happen to us the next moment. Uh. I do think that like the only, I don't know if this is the only way to sell insurance, but um, I think the industry in general, like the sales tactic is always through fear mm. or uncertainty. So it's like they always say like, oh, uh, what are your goals? Then after that, they say like, what happens if you cannot achieve them? What happens if this happens? What happens if suddenly you are crippled? What happens if you got cancer? What happens if you die before your children? Blah, 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 blah. blah. And then the point is to make you feel like, oh my God, like what really happens if if I cannot do all this? Then because you're scared that you will buy one. Because in the business context, whatever money that we spend on, whatever money that we, or whatever things we want to buy, I feel like it needs to solve a problem. Uh. But do you think that like there is a, appropriate way to do this or it, like do you think that there are certain FAs that go too far or like it's too dramatic or it just use the fear mongering tactic like way too much and then it gets on people's nerves okay I admit that there are there are some tactics that could, could go a bit overboard like I mean I remember one incident where I, it was last year I think yeah. the, the media cop actor Aloysius Pang. Yeah, Aloysius Pang. He's not Ryan not stupid, what? He is. Huh? Which, which, which role? I'm not stupid, yeah, he is. Which role? The three boys. No, he's not. He's not? Or is it the Papa Hai Zi? Ah, Papa Hai Zi, maybe. I'm not sure, but anyway, okay. he's cute. He was cute. Oh my god, R.I.P. Okay, so, so what happened last year was that... Um, he died. He, he passed away, sorry. He passed away la, because yeah, of a mishap during the, yeah, the military exercise. Then I think there was this um, Asian that um, capitalized on this incident to, to promote insurance. Wow, that's so, fucked up, man. So I, I, feel, I felt like that could have been... A bit insensitive. Yeah. Yes, Not yes. just a bit. La, I think that was quite insensitive. But the thing is, there's no one that's like telling FAs like what's ethical and what's not, right? Like, do, do do insurance companies have, like, an ethical committee or something, you know? Like, ethics committee to, to like, advise their agents, like, okay, what is the ethical way of selling? What is the ethical way of selling? Okay, so, so there, are, there are guidelines that we follow with regard to the kind of content we post on social media, uh, what kind of message we deliver, because we, we really need to be careful on the kind of things or topics that we choose to to bring up insurance conversations. You mean like your company lah? As in, I know specifically to, to AIA, there's, there's a guideline that we follow, but I'm not very sure about other insurance companies. Okay. Yeah. Do you know if that guy who talk, who capitalised on the Aloysius Pang thing, yeah. like, were there any consequences? Did he get called out or anything? He got called out very badly. A lot so of people... So he got fired? Yeah, that's how I found out about he it. He got fired ah? Fi- okay, fired, I don't know. Oh. But... Oh, as in like legitimate consequences, uh, not just. Yeah lah, duh. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, anyway, I feel like personally, I don't know whether um, in general, if like do insurance companies have this ethics committee or whatever? But I do feel like it's necessary for someone to police like 
the way FAs market their content or sell to other people because I feel like this is like a main problem that you know the general public have like with regard to FAs like they feel like they are not really ethical uh, I mean some of them are not ethical in the way they do things like you can say no to them multiple times but they will still try so it's kind of like you have no fucking consent to anything you know mm. what I mean so I feel like there has to be a limit to all these things that they do yep. and if there's no one policing then they wouldn't care ma. but if there's someone policing then it'll be better lah. Okay, this is better for the reputation of the industry. Okay, I feel like this one is a bit tough because it's easy in, in terms of to say something is legal or not. But to yes. say something is moral or not, I think then that's a bit tough. Lah. That's why there has to be a committee. Ma. It's not just one person saying what, right, what is right and what's wrong. It's like a jury, you know. Well, I guess I can start an insurance company and have an ethics committee. <laughs> okay, I guess you can. I'll be the most ethical insurance company ever. And then make no money. <laughs> Joey life. Oh. <laughs> okay, next question. Okay, the next question is quite important and legitimate. Not saying that uh, other questions are not legitimate, but somebody asked, what should we do as clients if our insurance agent leaves the company or leaves the earth? <laughs> okay, the second question first. So, um, because I'm an insurance agent, so I, I do set a sort of protocol or procedure in place where I... It's like a will. It's something like that. So I, I always tell my clients um, face-to-face and through the policy file that I give them, I give them a protocol where if one day um, I'm not able to serve them anymore because I'm, I'm dead or I'm mentally incapacitated or I can't talk or for whatever reason, lah, um, there's a, there are two people that they can go to, which is first of all my direct superior and then the superior after that. So... These are people I trust and these are people I know that will still take good care of my clients even when I'm no longer able to do so. So it's usually like the insurance agent's choice lah. Like who they want to appoint or if they even appoint someone else to take over. Uh, we can sort of appoint. Like so for example, if something happens to me and then I want Lucas to, I trust Lucas to take over my clients, then I'll let my clients know that if anything happens to me, please approach Also Lucas. it's not a black and white thing. It's not really a black and white thing. But it's just like, hey bro, help me if I die. Uh. Because, because, yeah, okay, so now to our first question, when your insurance advisors leave, sometimes you'll be, most of the time you'll be assigned a random guy that you don't know. Uh. So your case gets like, redistributed, like yeah. randomly. Correct. That's fucked up. Why? As in, no, that's not fucked up. Uh. That's, that's, I mean, that's just how business works. But what I'm asking is like, what do we, what are the steps we need to take as like a client, for example. Okay. Like, do we have to do anything? Um. We just go and find another agent, uh. Yeah, just basically, if the if your current agent does not do that job for you, then you have to do that job yourself, uh. You mean um the insurance agent has no responsibility to let the client know if they are leaving, right? Like, there's no um, it's not a must, right? They can yeah. just ghost. Yeah. Even after like thirty years. What do you mean ghost even after that? Like, they can just ghost the client. Like, let's just say if the insurance agent leaves the company, la, like hmm. he's under o- no obligation to let the client know first, like, hey, I'm leaving. It's just out of his goodwill, right? Yeah, correct. So the only time I'll know is when another agent takes over. La. Yeah. That's so fucking unfair to the client, what? I mean, this is why they're like, there's such a big trust issue or yeah. between, between cost, clients and financial advisors now. 
because there have been many situations where advisor leaves after a few years and then leaves the client in the lurch. And there's no way a client would know beforehand, right? So yeah, there's no way. I'm just trying to think in the client's perspective, like what can we do? So the only way we can do is have a few backup FAs. Yes, yes, this is honestly... Really? This is honestly some of the things we we propose to to, cli- to people who are not our clients yet. So when we approach, or at least for me, sometimes when I speak to friends and then they already have an advisor, then I also let them know, oh, it's, it's great that you have, you have an advisor now, but in future, if anything were to happen to the current advisor and you need someone to take over the policies and service you for, for your policies, then you can look for me. Ah. Mm. Mm. Okay, so I guess... The answer to the question is have a few backup options, especially if your advisor is getting a bit old. I mean, even at the... It's a bit out to say. Okay, to, but realistically speaking, then that is the truth now. Yeah. Okay, but because not necessarily that they are no longer around, but they may choose to retire from the yeah. industry. Yeah. Like closer to the retired age. Yeah, correct. And like it's good to have a look around to see like who are the other trustworthy people and like give them a little test to see if they're really trustworthy. I mean, another way to another way that clients can do is that at the start of the relationship, maybe they request from the advisor, oh, is there a certain protocol that I can follow that one day if you're not able to service me anymore? What, yeah, what I feel I like it's a good question to ask your advisor. Like, how, yeah. what happens if you leave? And then... Also, through their answer, you will know like how dedicated they are. And also, mm. if they put into place anything to safeguard you as their client, yeah. if they leave. Because if they don't, then you know that like, obviously, he doesn't care about you. Lah, correct? Probably. Okay, next question. What are the most unnecessary plans for millennials? Unnecessary. Yeah. Anyway, millennials is a bit broad, right? Okay, Shall we do like fresh grads? Okay, so between... I think what they mean is fresh grad because like 30 plus is also millennials but 30 plus is like <laughs> a bit different really the life goes. So between 23 to 28? Yeah, sure. First jobbers. Okay, first jobbers. New grads and first jobbers. What are the most unnecessary plans that they definitely do not need but people may still sell them? Are there any? Um, No. Leh. I honestly don't think that there are any unnecessary plan because unnecessary plans are like plans that are good to have to to like increase your money or savings or whatever but are not necessary for your like well-being but that being said that means all wealth plans not necessary ma yeah also wealth plans are not necessary la. okay then what what defines as necessary like will suffer major like if you cons- don't have you'll be fucked but if you don't have wealth plans and then but you may have money uh, if you have money then if you have your own savings, you are still not fucked. Right? It's just that the wealth plan gives you more. Okay, true. Right? True. So, yeah. like, technically, that's not, like, super necessary. Okay, but I think the the, the friend that asked this is probably more towards, like, what is important but not as necessary in terms of, like, major consequences, insurance. If you get what I mean. Uh. Okay, so I'm, I'm just going to answer in the insurance perspective, like, because for wealth plans, it's not really a must-have. Because there are really many other ways to, to grow your money. To grow your money, but that being said, wealth plans have their own certain unique uh, proposition, and they have their own unique benefits uh, that some other some other strategies don't have. Okay, so for insurance plans, um, I honestly don't think that there's anything that's unnecessary. The way I see it is that insurance is categorized into a different kind of situations that a client might face, like for example, death, critical illness 
accident, disability, you realize that most products are categorized like that. So within each category, there are many different plans. So I wouldn't say that any of the plans are unnecessary, but rather some plans may be more suitable or relevant to the person's specific profile. So for example, for life insurance, if the person is not someone who's comfortable with risk, then don't take an investment-linked life policy. Maybe, maybe a whole life policy makes more sense. But if the person wants to have both protection and also to grow their money at the same time, then an ILP will be suitable for them. What's ILP? Investment-linked plan. Oh, is it mine? No. <laughs> okay, I clearly don't know what my own plans are. Yours is a whole life plan. Oh. I thought I have investment or something. As in, there's an investment plan, but it's not an investment. Oh, it's not linked. It's not an investment plus protection plan. It's oh, so ILP is investment plus protection. So ILP is like a... Investment linked plan. Okay, so technically, investment linked plans refer to both insurance and wealth products because they are all investment linked. Okay. But for insurance, they are investment linked insurance product. Okay. Which okay. means like the structure of it or like the underlying of the insurance plans is investment based. Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't think that there's anything that's unnecessary for, for millennials or people between 23 to 28, but rather it's, it's more of what's the most suitable plan according to your specific situation. Alright, I guess um, the next question will be, would you buy your own ILPs? Yeah, why not? Did you buy your own? Yeah, why not? Um, from yeah. yourself? Yeah, I... Yeah, so I, you're your own FA? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I am. Okay. Oh my god, you can do that? Yeah, you, I can. Oh, so you can be your own FA? Yeah. Cool. Like, I'm just doing the paperwork for myself. Huh? Cool. I do a lot of claims for myself. Huh? Okay, but for this, I, I did tell Lucas that uh, like, if anything happens to me when I'm in the hospital, Lucas, you better claim for me. Uh, Lucas, if you're listening to this, I'm telling you again. Yeah, you can't claim for yourself, right? Because I'm in the hospital, I uh, yeah. how to claim. But yeah, we agreed that we will help if each Lucas other. Lucas is a bro, he will claim for you. Yeah, I trust him as a bro. But we shall see if he's a bro. <laughs> Alright, okay. The next question we received was, um, what plans do you earn the most commissions from? Okay, Can you this, review this? Yeah, we are, okay, so we are, we are allowed to, to review the commissions that we get from... Specific from, plans? From whatever products that we sell to clients. Oh, okay. so we, are, we are allowed to review... So which one is the highest? Um, highest, you mentioned was like 50%, right? 50% for like... Is the highest? For like, if you were to pay every single year. You get what I mean? Because there are, there are people who choose to pay like installments over every, over many years. There are people who choose to pay one lump sum. So the 50% is the lump sum? No, the 50% is to pay many years one. So the lump sum one will oh. be much smaller, like maybe 3 to 4%, etc. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, because one big lump sum, uh, you so get everything. So that's not, that's not um, contingent on the type of plan. It's just the way they pay. It is contingent on the type of plan. So, okay, this question is very, very hard and very complex to answer without taking up too much time. But simplistically, the, the longer that the client pays for, and um, of course, the more premiums that they pay, then the more commissions we'll get. La. So, yeah. is it even dependent on a specific plan? Like, do you get different commissions on different plans? That's why yeah, some yeah. insurance agents, like, push like a certain plan more yeah and what is that plan or those plans I think that's what you want to know like the specific plan wow specific plan okay like it's very hard to say a certain plan 
Because it depends it depends on Yeah, there are too many factors to take into consideration. Like the length of payment, the amount of money paid, whether you get back benefits, whether it's an insurance plan, whether it's Okay, just generally a okay, then let me help all you people out there rephrase the question and get the answer you want. So generally, <laughs> which is the plan that FAs will push the hardest to earn the most, generally. Do you know? I mean, there has to be like a certain stereotypical plan that like every fucking FA will ask you to buy no matter what. But now we don't do that anymore. If it's the client's interest, then you get what I mean. So there isn't such a plan? I think there are definitely plans that earn more than other plans. Yeah. Which are? Okay, so for example, whole life plans will definitely um, give give agents more commissions as compared to term life plans. Don't know what that means. Okay, so... Okay, okay yeah, yeah. So, so that's one example without going to explaining what term and whole life is. Huh? Okay, I feel like I still need to explain. Okay, just, just a quick one. So whole life plans generally um, are more expensive and thus bring more commissions because for whole life plans, there is this cash value portion to your life insurance. And for whole life plans, it protects you for, for your whole life. Until age oh, shit! Yeah, until age 100. La. It's a whole life plan. Yeah, so whereas for term plan, you are, you are paying much less premiums, but you only get protection. That means if, and it's usually for a specified period of time, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and if nothing happens during those 20, 40 years, you won't be able to get money back. There's no cash value portion. Whereas whole life, you have now. Okay. I think that's a fair answer. At least you gave the name of the plan. Yep. Okay, the next question is a bit long and sounds a little personal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I'm going to ask it anyway. And I'm going to just quote the question. Uh. Why do most FAs always say they're definitely not in need for the money when we ask about it? No shame to just say so because everyone works for money and everyone wants to be successful. It's still a job after all, right? In fact, it's good that FA wants to be successful and build that brand to stick around longer. It's so annoying when FAs pitch the I'm not doing this for money, I really want to help story because... Come on, let's be real. At least 40% is for the money. You gotta live and show that you're successful to get more clients anyway. So why pitch sob stories or insist that you're really just all about helping others when asked about it? We all know that it's good money if done well. That's how a lot of people get drawn to start as an FA as well, no? Wow. Wow. This person sounds a little um cynical about <laughs> life, but... Maybe, maybe maybe he or she didn't mean it in this tone. Like, it's just my tone that's cynical. Okay, from a marketing perspective, I know a lot of people fucking hate it. I hate it as well. But it is a marketing ploy to, like, harp on emotional heartstrings. And I think that's just how a lot of FAs are trying to reach out. And whether or not they're successful is whether or not your heartstrings have been harped. La. Like, if they talk to you about a soft story and you're just like, oh, what the fuck? Like, who the fuck cares? Then... I mean, they are just bad storytellers, you know. Not everyone can be a good storyteller. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would. Okay, I would admit that it's marketing, but I wouldn't call it a ploy because it's a market. Okay, ploy is a wrong word to use. It's a marketing tactic. Yeah, I feel I feel attacked a little bit. It's a tactic. Okay, because okay, I say this because getting my story out there as to why I joined has always been a big part of of what I do, lah. Because of my, my, my granddad's incident, and I feel like I want people to know why I'm doing this. Because admittedly, when I first joined, I'm also very aware of the social stigma. And maybe that's, that's one way for agents to, to cope with the stigma, rather than to like, you know, 
to to use it as a tactic to get more clients. You get what I mean? It's more for it's us to... It's a coping to, mechanism. Yeah, something like that. Because we are, we are also self-conscious and we are also insecure. When we say, oh, we are an insurance agent, we are a financial advisor, we are sure and... Hun- okay, at least we, we we feel that people will straight away bring up their social stigma in their head. Lah. So, so by explaining why we are actually really doing this and, and that is for a more passionate reason... I feel that it's one way we, we cope with it all. It's not really a way to, to get clients. So would you say that for you, it's 40% for the money and 60% for your grandfather? Oh, it's, a, it's a bit tough to put a number to it, but, but my answer is that I would not I would not shy away from admitting that one of the reasons why I would choose to do this job is also because of financial reasons. Lah. Because... Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure if there's no, like... Um, promise of you being rich and all that, then it wouldn't even attract that so many people to BFAs, you know? Hmm. If only nursing is the same. Okay, honestly, if if, if my granddad hit me in the way that I'll go into nursing, I would. Hit la. you? As in, no, as in, as in, the incident oh, hit, hit me. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the incident hit you figuratively. Okay, I yeah. get it, I get it. Like, even if I'm not rich from insurance, it's fine. Even if I were to just... Yeah, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fact. Okay. So, in any case, even if I were to stay in my current situation for the rest of my life, I'm okay with it. Because I feel that I find, I find meaning in my job. And my, my granddad's story really... Like, my granddad is a big reason why I do this. Lah. So, even if I don't, don't get to, like, astronomical riches as as what we all know successful agents achieve, I think that's okay with me. Yeah. But of course, I will still want to put in the effort to be successful in what I do and to, to be financially free. I mean, that's what everyone wants. And have the wants. same values that you had. Same values I had? That's yeah. my granddad values. No, like, don't be a sellout. Oh, of course. Ah. If yeah. not, I will not be around. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, mean, I just want to say that we are in my grandfather's old room now. Can feel the presence of my grandfather uh, who is dead and the Chris Chris's grandfather <laughs> blessing us over this <laughs> empty room <laughs> but I mean that being said I, I, I think it's okay to, to chase after financial freedom in no matter what job you do insurance I think lawyers. the problem is just like if you are if you want to fucking say a sob story right then you better be convincing lah Right? Because if it's not convincing, then why even try? True. Right? Like, if it's real, then okay, sure. But if you want to fucking spin a story and it's fake, then you better help be convincing, man. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so... Um, I, I would, okay, my answer would be, let's just don't spin the story. Lah. Don't, don't spin a story, just be genuine. Oh. Yeah, but if they want to spin, then don't be fucking fail. Don't be a failure, Eddie. Lah. Like, <laughs> come on. Don't be a damn loser. If you want to lie, at least convince me you're lying. I guess that's okay. true. Advice to FAs is just work on your storytelling, lah. Maybe maybe you should go for some free courses. There are some free courses out there that teaches you how to uh, be a better storyteller, and you, then you can go and read Medium also. There are a lot of articles on storytelling. It's Not actually sponsored. an art. So yeah, uh, I think it's a very important skill for FAs or actually any sales sales salesperson. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Because I I think that using stories to sell. Okay, this this one is more relatable to FAs, but I think using stories to to, to bring a, across concepts or like principles 
it's a more engaging way for the for the client and easier for them to understand. Yeah. I think it's, it just hits that emotional aspect like a lot better la, mm. than like factual, you know. Just hits differently. It's like the insurance it's like the insurance companies doing all those emotional advertisements what, in the True. cinema. True. Fuck. So emotional they end up insurance company then just like what come out of <laughs> insurance company made me cry okay anyway we're down to the last question okay. and this is my own question okay um okay the point is that like if I if I buy an investment plan from someone yeah I have to trust in their investment skills right like for example you are doing my investment so I have to trust your investment <laughs> I need to play with a ball now sorry so I have to trust your investment skills? Um, the answer is yes and no. Okay, okay, so yes first because let's just say, okay, it's getting a bit technical, but let's just say you do investment plans with me. The funds can be chosen to your preference. Okay. Can I choose? No, you chose to go with the, to, we go with Mercer's recommended portfolio. Okay. Okay. So, so yes in the sense that uh, as a financial advisor, because I, I do take effort to read investment news, I try to find good opportunities to enter or exit the market. And these are sort of things that, or perspectives that I can tell my clients. Mm. So let's just say I feel that China is a good market to enter. And then I let you know that, hey Joey, I think China is a good market to enter because of this, 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 this reasons. Yeah. And then if you trust me, based on maybe my past performance or just- But how would I know your past performance? Okay, the, the point I have is that like, how do we even judge someone's investment skills from the get-go? Because if they try to sell me, then how do I... Did I say insurance? I mean investment. How do I like know if they are like wise with their choices? Or you know what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't know uh, unless they tell me. So I think a good way is to see how the, the financial advisor pitches to you or explains to you the, the investment plan and the principles behind it. Because... If, if a certain agent is actually not very very good with it, I think you can still tell that he's trying to smoke you. Okay. Right? So, so that's one that's one um, factor to look at. Lah. And also you can see, probably if he posts a lot on social media. You, like Lucas like, Lim. Yeah. So Lucas, Lucas is a pretty savvy um, in the investment so area. So should I have bought from him instead? I'm also pretty savvy. <laughs> <la. laughs> okay, so... First of all, Lucas, okay, Lucas and I, Lucas okay, and I, we put okay. in a lot of effort to, to read out all this investment news and stuff. So, so one way is to see um, how uh, the, the financial advisor pitches during the meeting and also to see what kind of content he posts on social media. So for the no portion, because at the end of the day, if the advisors admit that, hey, I'm not really great with investments, but this investment plan based on my current understanding, whether it's a basic or fundamental or just a little bit, he still believes that it's good for you and you trust him, you can still go ahead with the plan because you can still choose to go with Mercer guided portfolios. So Mercer is actually a, a, a giant, like one of the biggest financial institutions out there. They, they, they specialize in investment consultant. So they work with AIA to, to create a certain portfolio based on your risk tolerance and your time horizon to help you invest. Huh? So even if the advisor is not super great with investments himself, you can still trust Mercer. Yeah, the advisor is really there to to be more active in the fund management portion, which of course will be able to have a higher chance 
or generating more returns for you, lah, if he's good at it. So, can I change my portfolio companies if I want? Yeah. Anytime? Yeah. Then, you never advise me? As in, right now, the current Mercer portfolio is still okay. Oh. As in, there's no reason to switch. Alright, you never ask me to go into China. I go change to Lucas. <laughs> okay, that's our last question. And yeah. thanks for listening. Uh, I don't know if there will be a third installment, eh, you think? I mean, if you have questions, then you all just ask us. Uh. If you have enough questions, then we may do a third one. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like everyone just really has the same consensus about <laughs> FAs. So, but anyway, you can still ask us questions. You can ask us any questions. It doesn't have to be about FAs. Lah. Yeah, but I hope my answer sort of like clarifies some perspectives. Yeah, and we'll see you again next week. See you episode. Bye-bye. Bye.